0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lentesta, and this is our show for the week of Schmear's Day, May 16th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, a survey that indicates Universal might be working on new Harry Potter wand ideas. Plus, in our main segment, Jim continues with the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and its influence on Disney theme parks. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says, Trace Leches in Esta Economia? It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? You know, the, Jim, the, the five listeners that will understand that joke. <laughs> the, the five listeners that we have, they will all understand the, that joke. No,
1: no, 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 no. Look, look me personally, I get it. When, when you, You're paying for three milks when you buy a, a slice of, of a Trey Leche cake, which given the current rate of inflation seems a touch extravagant. But oh my God, Lynn, that cake. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I feel like cake. I'm channeling Chrissy right here, but Trey eight cake cake, is, is crazy good. I mean, the flavor that yeah. comes out of that elaborate prep. Len, I have been at parties where I've seen people stabbed with a fork because they, <laughs> they got a little too close to somebody else's slice of tray cake. People get very, very serious, very, very possessive when it comes to this particular dessert. So do yourself a favor, folks. Just eat what's put in front of you and keep your eyes on your own plate. Exactly. Tray leche cake makes people do bad, bad things, Len. It's the only birthday party I've ever been to where I had to wear
0: armor. Yeah. <laughs> Scary stuff. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BainCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Raz Furukawa, Greg Stees, and Eric0771, and longtime subscribers, Dana Snyder, C Washi 6 and Catherine Turner. Jim, these are the Disney cast members who are busy hand-stitching harnesses to the Kite Tails balloons over at Animal Kingdom as a test offering for parasailing lessons are on the Chakrondhati River when that show ends this month. They say they're going to make up for the lack of space to get guests up in the air by going really, really fast. And testing (laughs) proves that more than half the guests who try it are
1: absolutely fine at the end. True story. How do we feel about it? Is it May 26th? Is that one Last day, yeah. Are you going to be there, Len? Are you going to burn a candle? (laughs) I mean, you know.
0: I mean, I think it's one of those things, Jim, like Halloween decorations where you can pull it out of the closet if you need to, to do something. It's gone, but not forever, Like much okay. like uh, the Nine Lives of the uh, Mean Street Electrical Parade.
1: It was such a misbegotten show and, yeah. and yet had its own weird charm. There's a part of me that wonders, could they bring this back on, say, Bay Lake or Seven Seas Lagoon, or for that matter, Epcot's World Showcase Lagoon, once a, a certain... Big chunk of hardware disappears. <laughs> it needs room. It needs space. You know, blue needs to run free. You know, it's like, hmm.
0: I love, I love that. We're, uh, we're already assuming that the harmonious barges are going to, going to be gone from Epcot based on the concept art that was released. And I, 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 I need to point out, Jim, it's concept <laughs> art, not Prophecy. You know, oh, this is true. This is
1: true. Oh, oh, by the way, did you notice that in addition to imagining leaning into the word activations, you know, how we don't open an attraction, we have an activation? Jim, you're just,
0: you're just going to do that to me this morning, aren't you? It's going to be that sh- that kind of show, isn't it?
1: Okay, well, right, like, good, good, no good, good. But, but have you seen activations, evil little brother? We, we've we now gone from concept art to marketing arts? No, I didn't see. Is it really called marketing art? Yeah, this last set of images for Epcot was identified not as concept art, but as marketing art. You know, we're like a year away
0: from management telling Imagineers, first place is a new car, second place is a set of steak knives." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's. Gonna, we're like a year from that. Maybe, maybe nine months, depending on how the rest of the year goes. I'm just saying. Okay.
1: Deep cut, line, Deep cut. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> okay. All right. Speaking of uh, speaking of that,
0: uh, Jim, the Disney earnings call was yesterday, Wednesday. Largely focused, I think, on Disney plus streaming, uh, but some park pilots. Disney expects the Galactic Star Cruiser to be sold out through the end of their third quarter, which is the end of June 2022. And that's, I think, surprising to a lot of people who expected this to not be able to find enough of an audience to fill all the rooms. But clearly there is enough demand there. What's uh, what's your take on that, Jim?
1: Given how enthusiastic, I mean, and and by the way, that's continued. If you follow on social media, if you see folks who have gone on the Halcyon and had their two-day cruise experience, they come out evangelizing about what they went through. You know, it's like, it's worth the money. So word of mouth is definitely buoying reservations for that. Have you heard anything about the Life Day cruise experience that they're talking about for Galactic Star Cruiser, you know, going into the holiday season?
0: I've heard that there might be um, a number of updates to the experience to keep it fresh for people and also to sort of like fill in any of the gaps that have been identified in place yeah, so far. So yeah. I've heard Life Day is a thing. I've heard mm-hmm. alternate adventures, like, you know, just yeah. short side quests, like, you know, here's a 20 minute mm-hmm. thing that you can mm-hmm. do. The um, I think part of the thing that the Imagineers have to work with there is you're inside the hotel. There are a fixed number of rooms. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's you know, probably an expansion pad somewhere, but for mm-hmm. now they're trying to give you more things to do uh, using the same space.
1: In a weird sort of way I'm rather happy to hear that going into June, the numbers are solid and it just, I'm looking ahead to the fall and winter 2022, 2023. Yeah. That's where I, I'm hearing it, it'll get a little challenging, but let's see what happens.
0: I mean, I think the main reason why it's not selling out a year in advance is that it's a lot of money and people with with the experience they've had over the last couple of years are hesitant to book anything that far out. There's just so many this unknowns, is true. right? That's the this edge. is true. By the way, Jim, this is a good uh, time to remind people. We're, uh, we're looking at March 30th through April 1st, 2023 for our group cruise on the Halcyon. It's a Thursday check-in and a Saturday check-out. Uh, which is also uh, appropriately April Fool's Day. For more information, go to storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. Also, Jim, yesterday Bob Chapek said that Genie Plus continues to deliver strong revenue to the company. Uh, No surprises there. I did want to Mm -hmm. get your take, though, on Bob Chapek's comments about merchandise sales. And He said that growth in merch licensing was driven by higher sales of merch based on Mickey and Minnie, Mm -hmm. Spider-Man, Star Wars classic in Disney princesses. So, Jim, does that inform
1: upcoming attraction decisions? If you're talking... Star Wars, we are still in that Grogu afterglow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, likewise, obviously, you know, if we're talking Spider-Man, we're still in the shadow of No Way Home. Right. Mickey and Minnie, that's a little bit of a surprise. But Disney princesses, since Andrew Mooney identified that as a possible thing, I mean, that's been a rocklin'. And and yeah. by the way, remember, next year is when we get our live action Little Mermaid, and they anticipate Ah. we'll see a huge uptick off of that. But it's going to be interesting going ahead, uh, especially given the fact that Imagineering kind of has to do a cold start. Right. You know, there's nothing going on in Imagineering right now, which seems like a kind of an interesting choice, given the epic universe is rising up out of the ground, just down the street. But it'll be fascinating to see of those four franchises. I mean, face it, next year we've got Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway opening up at Disneyland Park as Mm -hmm. a part of the redo of Toontown. Right. And we expect expect some stuff to be announced for Disneyland in D20 Three,
0: but going back to Walt Disney World, you know Mickey and Minnie have their new attraction at mm-hmm. Hollywood Studios. Spider Man can't come east of the Mississippi. Star Wars Classic already has a land. Mm-hmm. Disney Princesses mm-hmm. are all over. It seems like there's a little bit of risk of oversaturation in putting Star Wars Classic or Disney Princess stuff in other places around the resort. Like would. Would Star Wars Classic ever make it outside of the studios?
1: Why don't we revisit this conversation, say, in a month's time okay. after Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, ah, you know, the, right. the limited series debuts on Disney+. Plus. There's a lot of folks at the studio who are very, very excited about this and who are already trying to, well, season two, hey, come on, you know, <laughs> Obi-Wan, he can't spend all that time hanging out with the sand people. He can go someplace <laughs> else. He could visit friends.
0: There you go. Oh, that's interesting. All right. Also, uh, Jim, this week Christina got video of the first motorized ride vehicle testing at Tron lightcycle Run, where the mm-hmm. Magic Kingdom. I think December first, for an official opening date for Tron, is my best guess, and that's based on some blockout dates around the Galactic Star Cruiser. But the fact that they're uh, that they're doing powered tests now is uh, is encouraging because it's May. They've got June, mm-hmm. July, August, September, October, November, and then part of December. They've got six months. To finish this up, that seems that seems possible at this point. I remain ever hopeful. All right, cool. All right, Jim, let's uh, talk about some surveys that some friends have sent in. Uh, Mm -hmm. Barbara got a Disney survey question around making park reservations. And here's what's interesting about it. There's two parts of it. And Jim, you can help me figure out how they're connected. The question Mm -hmm. is this. Now, thinking about visiting the Walt Disney World theme parks in the future and assuming that these protocols are no longer in place. Physical distancing, limited number of people in the parks, increased number of hand washing and hand sanitizing stations, employees required to wear masks, employees are temperature screened, guests required to wear masks, and guests are temperature screened. Which of these options would you prefer to do in advance for your trip? Choose the first day of my trip that I might want to visit any Walt Disney World theme park or make a reservation for a specific Walt Disney World theme park for each day of my trip or no preference? So let me break this up. Jim, uh, mm. when Disney says, uh, thinking about visiting the Walt Disney World theme parks and assuming that these protocols are no longer in place, Jim, I'm pretty sure none of those protocols are currently in place. Mm-hmm. So is this an old question or are they just reminding people like going forward,
1: we don't think we're going to need to do this? This is ahead of the set of the reset button. Right. right. The notion of, okay, you're going back to the park and none of that stuff that annoyed you Is still in place. These two questions about choose the first day of my trip or I might want to visit any Walt Disney World Park or make a reservation for a specific Walt Disney World theme park on each day of the trip. Right. Because the second option, the one you just mentioned, making a reservation
0: for the specific Walt Disney World theme park you want to visit each day of your trip. That's the current Mm -hmm. process. So why would Disney want to have you choose the first day of your trip that you might want to visit any Walt Disney World theme park? Why would that be why would that be an acceptable alternative to telling Disney exactly where you're going every day because from a staffing perspective making a reservation for a specific Walt Disney World Park every day of your trip has got to be a huge advantage to Disney and I know it's a huge hassle for guests mm-hmm. but why why would they assume why would they want to know the first day of your trip especially if you're staying on site they aren't shouldn't they just assume that like your first check-in day is the first day that you're going to
1: a park one of the reasons we get? all of these surveys is Disney is constantly surveying. Mm-hmm. And the pushback on the effort that is now yeah. involved with going to Walt Disney World, the reserving a park in advance and that's in addition to oh by the way, make your dining reservations 180 days out. Right. Right now a Walt Disney World vacation involves a lot of homework. Right. And that's on top of, oh, I got to get my flights down to Orlando. And, oh, I got to book my hotel rooms. And there have been a number of stories lately bubbling up about people who did all of that and then tried to get into the parks. Parks And and didn't didn't have
0: a park reservation. Yeah. And couldn't get in. Got an email this week from someone who was staying at the Grand Floridian over spring break and uh, ended up going to Epcot for four out of the five days of their trip because that was the only reservation they could get. And then the fifth day, they had a park reservation for Animal Kingdom, but they decided to start the day at Epcot and realized they couldn't get into Epcot until they had gone to the Animal Kingdom first
1: <laughs> to check oh, in <laughs> it was this
0: whole cascading I- thing. By the way, uh, Jim, we're still only at 60 days for dining reservations, but I anticipate as uh, capacity comes back, we're going to extend that from 60 to 180 days. Yeah.
1: Speaking of corrections, on last week's show, we were talking... About a Disney film that I identified as Up All Night. It turns out got the name wrong. It was Midnight Madness. And uh. it's Michael J. Fox feature film debut. He looks like he's five, mind <laughs> you. Kind of an interesting film to get you know, to get to see a very young Michael J. Fox and also a, a frankly a very weird-looking Pee-Wee Herman. But <laughs> that's fantastic.
0: So All right, uh, Jim, we also got a Universal Orlando survey from Danielle. And this mm-hmm. survey is interesting because it asks about new Wizarding World wand options. So let me go through the questions real quick. And now we'd like to ask you some questions about Harry Potter and the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal Orlando Resort. What types of souvenirs have you purchased from the Wizarding World? Select all that apply. So the mm-hmm. options here are apparel, so tops, loungewear, and so on, suites, mm-hmm. accessories, backpacks, gloves, jewelry, neckwear, patches, slippers, socks, and collectibles. Replicas and wands or the other option is I've never purchased anything. Mm-hmm. The next question is which of the following best describes your engagement with Harry Potter the following descriptions are simply there to help paint a picture you don't have to interpret them in the literal sense. Um, first option is your hardcore fan you run a fan site forums you dress up to attend midnight premieres you've read and reread the books and discuss the material with anyone who can keep up with you. <laughs> I like okay. to call that our base Jim. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> My people. Yeah, exactly okay. our people. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Oh, there we
0: go. Dedicated so. fan. You anxiously await the release of the books and movies and deeply enjoyed the journey. You may even mm-hmm. have muttered a spell under your breath once or twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, casual fan, after you heard everyone talking about it, you experienced several books and movies for yourself and it turned out that you liked them. Mm-hmm. Uh, new to the franchise. You have recently discovered Harry Potter and are interested in knowing more uh indifferent you may have read a book or seen a movie to see what the fuss is all about you didn't hate it but nothing captivated you uh non-fan you are overall unfamiliar with the story of harry potter and not really interested in getting into it or adverse you know about the story of harry potter but do not like it so danielle picked that she was a dedicated fan and then uh here's where it gets interesting thanks for your answers so far reads the next section now we'd like to get your feedback on a wand product this may or may not be the kind of product you already own. Just a reminder the subject matter containing this survey is highly confidential. At the start of this survey, you agree that you will not save, store, copy, photograph, record, share, or distribute the content you're about to see in any way or by any means. So, again, Whew, Jim, I'm I did that. All right. So, again. all of our listeners, just, just you know, keep this between us, right? Don't, don't promote this. I was Mm -hmm. was thinking about this, Jim, by the way, when, you know, when Universal does this, it reminds me, and again, my, my, my knowledge of the Old Testament isn't Mm -hmm. great, but whenever I read something like this, I'm reminded of what Moses said to the pharaohs upon leaving Egypt. And again, my Aramaic, not that great, but I believe what Moses said was, don't hate the player, hate the game. (laughs) So, so let me remind Universal, you know, the words of Moses here. (laughs) <laughs> don't don't hate the player, hate the game. Okay. Again. Okay. Not yeah. a not a biblical scholar by any means, but I think, you know. Okay. Okay. All right. So here's the next question. Imagine a collectible non interactive wand that you can bring with you throughout the wizarding world of Harry Potter, available in a variety of designs, including replicas of iconic Harry Potter characters. How appealing does this product seem to you? Extremely somewhat neither appealing nor un- unappealing? Somewhat unappealing or extremely unappealing. And then the next question is please rate how much you like or dislike each of the product features below that it's a mm-hmm. non-interactive wand that it comes in replicas of my popular characters wands mm-hmm. or that it comes in a variety of styles so uh danielle said that she disliked intensely the fact mm-hmm. that it was a non-interactive wand but like the fact that it uh, comes in popular character wand replicas and that it comes in a variety of designs uh, next question is uh we'd like to ask you about feedback on potential additions to the product the tip of the wand would light up and the wand would vibrate or respond during spell castings. And this is also known as haptics. How interested would you be in purchasing this product? And Danielle said, somewhat interested. But then the uh, the next question is, is, how much do you agree or disagree with the following statements about the additions of light and haptics? I'd pay more money. They would make the experience feel less magical. I would spend more time in the wizarding world because of the lights and the haptics. The features add the magic of experience, they cheapen the product, they make for a more exciting product, or they would improve the overall interactive wand experience. The next one is kind of interesting because it relates to universal tracking or keeping uh, tabs on who's using the wand over time. So here's the question. If you had to pick one, which option for tracking spell progress would you prefer the wizard Gains the power through facial recognition, allowing Mm -hmm. progress to be stored by a person or the wand gains the power. So the wand stores the progress. And Jim, this is an interesting question, right? Because I think they're trying to figure out here. Are you sharing the wand with other family members or are you buying your own?
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Because if it's facial recognition, then only one person gets to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. You you have to be there to unlock Mm -hmm. the wand stuff. Yeah.
1: That's kind of intriguing in much the same way of, you know, if you're plugging back into how a character like Hermione, as she moves through the books, she accumulate experience and skill and become that much more powerful a wizard. You could really see how the Harry Potter fans would really get into that idea.
0: Right. And it allows Universal to know as you walk into the park, let's say it's on a mm-hmm. wand basis, right? Um, yep. There's got to be some sort of transmitter in the wand, sort of like a magic band that would say, this is this mm-hmm. person and this is what we know about them. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the next question is, uh, how interested would you be in the ability to track your progress, your learning progress mm-hmm. around spells? Extremely mm-hmm. somewhat neither interested nor un- uninterested, somewhat mm-hmm. uninterested or extremely mm-hmm. uninterested. So Danielle picked extremely interested. Mm-hmm. And then the next question was, what about the wand? wand gaining power do you like? Um, one set of progress that can be stored, reliability, and it doesn't use facial recognition. So then there's a whole set of questions around why you dislike facial recognition. So privacy concerns, accuracy, it's all too complicated and so on. But the next set of questions is also around where you would spend your money implementing this. And here's the question. And I think we've, Mm -hmm. we may have seen this once before, but going back to our last set of Universal uh, questions. I really think the Universal survey people have upped their game. Mm -hmm. Here's the question that they asked. Let's say Universal has budget to improve the park experience and wants to spend that budget in the best way possible. Using the boxes below, please distribute 100 points between the options to tell us the extent to which you would allocate the money to each one. The more money you want Universal to allocate to a certain option, the more points you should give it. If you don't want Universal to allocate any funds to a certain option, Mm -hmm. give it zero points. All right, so 100 points, they've got five different things here. Number one, improvements elsewhere in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Out of 100 points, how many many points would you give that? The next one is um, improvements elsewhere at Universal Orlando Resort. And here, Danielle put 50 points, whereas Mm -hmm. she put 10 points for improvements everywhere in the Wizarding mm-hmm. World. Updates to the current stations to include more magic. Danielle mm-hmm. gave that 10 points. The addition of more interactive spell casting stations. Danielle gave that zero points. And then, uh, last one, the addition of more activities or features to use the interactive wands with. And Danielle gave that 30 points. So it's our second most important thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. I admire Danielle's discipline. You yeah. Know, the, the yeah, this is a long survey. Yeah. The, yeah, the thing mm-hmm. I like
0: about this is, you know. It, Universal could have just said, rank these things from one to five, right? Mm -hmm. But by giving the option to allocate points, it tells you how far apart number one is from number two, number two from No, absolutely.
1: It's a fascinating idea to to weight your answers with a survey like
0: this. Love it. All right, uh, last two questions. Universal Creative is considering adding new features or activities for the interactive wand. Please Mm -hmm. place the ideas below in order from your most favorite to your mm-hmm. least favorite. So, again, we, we just talked about the opposite kind of thing here. So, one to ten, mastery questing. Work mm-hmm. to learn spells all over a wizarding world, complete your mm-hmm. goal of becoming a master wizard, track your progress, and gain access to finales. We don't mm-hmm. have finales right now, do we? Like a sort of, like, graduation event or anything?
1: Actually, didn't you just get to experience one aboard the Halcyon? Oh, we did, but, yeah, not at Universal. Right, yeah, yeah, but not at... Yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, I it, see what you're it, saying. It, ah... He-
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, Just saying. All right. All right. Uh, Broom ride finale. After becoming a master Mm -hmm. wizard, take a ride on a broom using VR technology. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds like a test bed for something there. Yep. Patronus conjuring. Cast light Mm -hmm. to keep a dementor at bay. The stronger the wizard, the more powerful the patronus. Mm -hmm. Upgrades. Upgrades to current windows. Refreshed stations with added spells and effects. Mm -hmm. Extra window interactions. Quest finales, final tasks and celebrations to finish out a day of questing. Personalized content displays at stations based on house. Dueling finale. After becoming a master wizard, test your dueling abilities by matching spell prompts to defeat another wizard. Battle training. Show your skills in a large-scale multiplayer experience to become a member of Hogwarts Elite. Hmm. And Hogwarts house questing. Earn points for your Hogwarts house by completing spells, tracking who's in the lead, and gaining access to finales. So Daniel put all the uh, 1v1 or uh, you know uh, personal co- uh, competition stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think I'd rather do this stuff on my
1: own. Clearly, the folks at Universal Creative have been going over the movies and going over the books yeah. and mining this material for even more ways to give the Potter fans what they want. And not insignificantly, Len, yeah. what's being built for Epic Universe is supposedly the Ministry of Magic. Right. So were this to open with all of the stuff, you know, or at least a good portion of what they've just mentioned here. Right. I know a lot of people would be grabbing their wand and heading back to Orlando.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime Universal opens a, a new uh, Harry Potter thing, it mm-hmm. uh, it drives attendance for an entire season. So. That makes there sense. The uh, Danielle's uh, survey ends with a dozen questions around pricing, and we've gone over mm-hmm. the sort of the format of the questions before. Mm-hmm. It's basically here's three options, mm-hmm. the three different price points. Um, tell us of these three options, which one you'd pick, if any, in mm-hmm. a dozen different
1: ways on that. So, uh, so that's mm-hmm. interesting. Thank you, Danielle. That would, what an interesting popping of the hood about you know what might be coming over the horizon, right. So, all right, uh, Jim. We have
0: time for uh, two listener questions. Here's one from Mallory. Mm-hmm who says, uh, Hi, Jim and Len. Uh, I love the recent episode where Christina discussed the gluten-free options at Disney World. In gluten-free circles, Disney's really respected and appreciated and has been for years. In 2013, when my sister's wheat intolerance was pretty bad and we marked gluten-free on our Disney dining plan, my family was really impressed on how much care the Disney cast members and chefs understood that need. I think something that's actually pretty noteworthy about Walt Disney World's gluten-free options is that they often taste really good, which speaks Hmm. to the talent of Disney chefs. I don't know if any of you have had, ever had gluten-free food from the grocery store, but a lot of it isn't great. Uh, also, just to explain how gluten-free stuff or bread works, most times wheat flour is replaced with something like corn flour or potato flour, though most gluten-free pizzas now use cauliflower crusts. I think in the case of Liberty Tree Tavern's gluten-free stuffing, they use cornbread. I didn't know cornbread was gluten-free, did you?
1: I did none, but I hey, hate yet another reason to put butter on it. Like, exactly, okay, I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm doing something good for me. It's gluten-free. What do you want? It's practically so. health food right here. <laughs> there
0: we go. All right. And one from Anna. Uh, love the show. Something I look forward to every Monday. Jim, what's a Monday? I don't remember. Um, I, it's a day after Schmur's Day. Okay. Oh, got it. Thanks. Okay. Right, fair go. uh, okay. Have you guys heard anything about when the second elevator might be up and running at Tower of Terror? My seven-year-old is desperate to ride it for the first time during our Jolly trip, and I'm not looking forward to the super long queues there. Yeah, so Tower has been running on one elevator shaft for a while yeah. now. I, I don't know that that's going to be fixed anytime soon. I know, Jim, during late 2020 into 2021 – tower had some downtime where they were trying to fix the issues. I don't think they all got fixed and it's still like, it's still a crap shoot as to whether they're operating on one or two chefs. And then what I would say is this, um, if it's very important to your seven-year-old go first thing in the morning or the mm-hmm. last thing at night or use GD plus, and I mean, mm-hmm. literally the first thing in the morning, like walk direct, get there as soon as the park mm-hmm. opens and walk directly to tower. And you should have a relatively short wait, assuming it's working.
1: Tower has actually become the studio's equivalent of haunted mansion you cannot shut down that attraction right. without yeah. angering tens of thousands of guests you know yeah. and many of whom are making that once in a lifetime trip to disney world yeah. so if the problem is to make the repair involves actually shutting down both elevator shafts right. for a protracted yeah. period of time. Yeah, and I'm sure whatever satellite. they're
0: going to do on one, whatever fixes they're going to make to make it more reliable, they do it on both shafts at the same time.
1: That's it, exactly. Especially during the, the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, it's like, no, we're not closing.
0: And the uh, the other issue that they, that they face with that is that the other rides in the park are not super, super reliable to begin with. So yeah. Rise is down for two hours a day. Runaway Railway is down for an hour a day. Slinky dogs down like forty minutes a day. I mean, it's just it's they don't have enough excess capacity in the park for no. tower to be down all the time. And they've got to no. work on that.
1: All true. Yep, that's
0: it's true. But anyway, and um, yeah. So uh, oh, July in Walt Disney World. Ooh, that's gonna be warm. Like I said, go first thing in the morning. It's also gonna be uh, as cool as possible in the morning. The advantage to also going in the morning, you get to see more of the park when the uh, when the windows open at the top. Um, it does kind of look cool at night, but you sort of miss the ability to see your house. From the top of the ride, you know, but uh, very true. Yeah, either either one, it'll be great. Your seven year old's gonna love it. uh, You know, go sometimes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. all right, folks. We're gonna take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim continues the story of how the movie Honey I Shrunk the Kids influenced so much inside the Disney theme parks. We'll be right back.
1: Okay, anyone who listens to this podcast knows, in order to tell a lot of the stories that I regularly share with listeners here, I do a crazy amount of research, and that means subscribing to a frighteningly large number of newspapers and online magazines. Mind you, that's never my plan going in. Each time I sign up for one of these things, I tell myself, I'm just going to do the free trial, and this time I will remember to cancel after two weeks or 30 days, whatever the free trial period for that publication is. But I almost never get around to actually canceling. And and I know, I know, it's only $7.99 here, maybe $14.95 there. But you'd be amazed how, on a monthly basis, all of those ongoing subscription fees combined can then begin to add up to a very significant chunk of change. Well, Nancy and I have finally decided to do something about our out-of-control subscription situation. That's why we just signed up for Truebill. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and then stop paying for subscriptions you no longer need, want, or or have simply forgotten about. Truebill is, in essence, a subscription monitoring service. It identifies reoccurring monthly payments that maybe you've forgotten about. And with one quick click, Truebill allows you to cancel that now unwanted subscription. And the savings can be considerable. On average, people save upwards of $720 a year whenever they use Truebill. And some folks have saved considerably more than that by using this app. Take, for example, this testimonial from Matthew B., who says... In a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my DirecTV bill, saved $120 for the year on my Sirius XM bill, saved $840 a year on car insurance. Now, those are the sorts of numbers that get my attention. Likewise, I, what I really like about Truebill is, well, companies typically make canceling subscriptions hard to do where Truebill, they make it incredibly simple. You just link your accounts to this app, and Truebill will help you cancel those now-unwanted subscriptions with one tap. Look, everybody's talking about inflation these days, so isn't it time you start doing the more financially responsible thing, which is stop spending and start saving? So, don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at TrueBill.com/DisneyDish. Join the more than two million TrueBill members who have taken back financial control. Go right now, TrueBill.com/DisneyDish. It could save you thousands a year. Again, that's TrueBill.com/DisneyDish.
0: I think we left off last week where, on the basis of E.T. The Extraterrestrial, Michael Eisner was looking to get Disney back in the science based comedy movie market. And Disney's first attempt, Flight of the Navigator, didn't do great at the box office, but did bonkers business in the home video market, which gave Eisner some confidence that there's a backstop, even when moderately good films can make
1: back their production costs over time, right? VHS definitely changed the business model. You had a far longer tail for a film to come at a profit. And so Flight of the Navigator, not so great the the, the summer of of 86, but January of 87, when that VHS hit store shelves, really sold. And it's like, I feel strongly about this science-based gimmick comedy thing. Let's keep at it. And this is when the script for Teenie Weenies hits his desk. Teeny Weenies has kind of an interesting pedigree. It comes to Disney by way of Stuart Gordon, who, back in the mid '80s, anyway, was known for writing and directing some pretty out there horror comedies. I don't suppose you're familiar with Reanimator or From Beyond from '85 and '86. I don't recall ever seeing those, Jim. Okay, you've lived a good life, Len. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a man
0: of discerning taste.
1: <laughs> okay, you know, there are certain things in those movies you just cannot unsee. Right, so, right. um, But at the same time, Stewart had a love for cheesy sci-fi films of the, the 50s, like The Incredible Shrinking Man, which Universal put out in theaters in April of 57. So one day, Gordon had a brainstorm where instead of, say, some earnest white guy in a lab coat who gets and shrunk down to a breadcrumb, What if it's a kid? Or or better yet, kids? What would happen in that case? So, Gordon and his frequent collaborators, Ed Naha and Brian Yudskin they work up a screenplay that explores this idea and it eventually makes its way to Disney. Eisner likes what he sees, but Michael doesn't want to spend a whole lot of money in this movie. Plus, he's not crazy about the title. So it's like, can we please come up with a better name for this thing? So f- that's why for a time it's called Grounded and then The Big Backyard. And Stewart was initially supposed to direct this movie for Disney. This is kind of a weird choice for the Mouse House, but Michael's thinking it so was, look, The Big Backyard is going to be full of visual effects. And given some of the scenes in Reanimator and Far Beyond, this guy knows how to do this stuff. So better to stick with the devil, you know? Yeah.
0: He also, by the by the the fact that he's produced or directed in movies, he shows that he can bring movies to it to the finish
1: line. There we go, right? Instead of getting getting hung up in production, right? So proven talent. That's a very important point. So, to keep costs down, Disney decides to shoot the big backyard down in Mexico City, at Churubusca Studios. <laughs> You're making this up.
0: Here at this no,
1: point. I'm serious. You know, in fact, they would slap things up that said, like, Beverly Hills on a plaza in a hotel in Mexico City. It's like, I don't recall Beverly Hills having quite that many taco stands, but okay. But, you know, it's a, you know, Spanish mission style is everywhere. It's very popular. Go ahead. This is true. <laughs> this is true. All right. Anyway, it comes time to cast the role of Wayne Zelensky. And, and by the way, originally written with Chevy Chase in mind. Really? Wayne Zelensky yep. was going to be Chevy Chase. But he was busy doing National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Fair enough. so he wasn't available. So uh, Disney offers the part next to John Candy. Who, yeah, <gasps> again, oh, always love me some John Candy. Yeah, John was not available. But the interesting thing is, John said, "Look, I like the script, and you know, have you seen my friend Rick Moranis? Do we work together on Second City Television? And I, I think he'd be really good for this part. So that's how Moranis ends up as Zelensky. Okay, Production is about to get underway in the big backyard, but then Stuart Gordon gets sick and has to withdraw from the project. And Michael Eisner now starts freaking out. He's got a, a big new effects-driven comedy, Disney Studios. It's going to be shooting in Mexico City and days for production. I don't have a director. Mm. So at this point, who enters the picture but Joe Johnston. Now, he's an Academy Award winner, started out as a concept artist on the very first Star Wars movie, went on to design Boba Fett. For Empire Strikes Back. So the guy's got chops. All right. And by the time Willow rolls around, George Lucas has promoted Joe to associate producer. More to the point, Johnston becomes a production designer of those two Ewok TV movies that EBC ran in 84 and 85. Okay. So Eisner, Eisner has some familiarity with him. Eisner's the guy who greenlit Raiders when he was over at Paramount. And okay. that's actually the picture that Joe wins his Academy Award for. Oh, so okay. it's like, All right, fair. so it's like, good. Okay. I know this guy. I know he can handle effects. He's done everything behind camera for a big visual effects thing you can do, except direct. So look, he's the right guy at the right place at the right time when Disney desperately needs a director for the big backyard. So tag, you're it. And so Joe to his credit delivers, you know, and Disney is so pleased with the work that he does on The Big Backyard that after this big effects comedy uh, opens the box office in June 89, does really, really well, Disney turns around and offers offers him another effects-filled project, which is a big screen adaptation of Dale Stevens' cult classic comic book, The Rocketeer.
0: I'm still amazed that Rocketeer never got a ride in Tomorrowland.
1: There is some early, early concept art for Shanghai Disneyland that suggests that their version of the star jets would have been a kind of a rocketeer, right. you know,
0: it sort of thing. I mean, it just, it just seems like it fits in Tomorrowland really well. And we got nothing out of it. And mm-hmm. I know the movie yeah. didn't do, you know, great box office. I actually went to see it in theaters. The same thing here. Yeah. But, uh, super. also Jim, you mentioned, uh, the title of the big backyard, but, um, And that uh, it did really, really well when it came out in June of 89. But that was not the title.
1: No, no. Eisner really, you know, it's like, this is us revisiting those gimmick comedies of the 60s and 70s. I mean, and they had... Punchy, funny names like the Monkey's Uncle, or now you see him, now you don't. We, we yeah. need something like that, and so Eisner's literally watching the test screenings of the Big Backyard. At every test screening, there's a moment where Wayne turns to his, wife, you know, and it's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and it gets this huge laugh. And finally, Eisner's like, oh, God, that's a title. Yeah. Just call it that. They laughed at that. And, and the thing is, too, it explains
0: the the whole premise of the movie, right? Like, uh, now you see him, now you don't, or Monkey's Uncle, right? I mean, you. Get- yeah, no, no, it's right there.
1: So anyway uh Honey the Shrunk does crazy business at the box office a summer of 89. We're talking $222 million in worldwide ticket sales, which is the equivalent of a half a billion dollars in 2022 money. Line. Wow. Which is why Honey the Shrunk the Kids was the highest grossing live action Disney film of all time, a title it retained for five years, only to then be dethroned by uh, a Santa Claus, which Disney Plus is prepping a sequel to right now with mm. Tim Allen, Ooh. a limited series. Oh, really? A, a, a series, not a, a one shot movie. No, the premise is that Tim is going to hand off the suit to a new Santa, Terry Crews. Right now, right now, someone <laughs> oh, does did, Damn it. That would have been a great idea. All right. One of the reasons that Honey, I Shrunk did that well at the box office in the summer of 89 is right in front of this Joe Johnson film was the very first Roger Rabbit short, Tummy Trouble. Ah, oh, yes. You know, the film that, that inspired that short, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, came out the previous summer. So there are people even today who say, well, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids didn't wasn't really the monstrous hit that we think it was. It was more a case of... Honey, I Shrek, the Kids, when paired with Tummy Trouble, was such a tempting combo that people couldn't resist that double bill. And honestly, Len, that became painfully clear in the summer of 92, when well, the sequel to "Honey I Shrunk the Kids," "Honey I Blew Up the Baby," uh, arrived in theaters, only in front of instead of a new Roger Rabbit short in front of that Randall Kleiser film. By the way, folks, remember that name? We're going to bring it back up. They had a a Disney CG short uh, that Barry Cook had directed called "Off Your Rocker," huh. which was good, but you know certainly no tummy trouble or roller coaster rabbit or trail mix up, and consequently, "Honey I." Sh- blew up the baby only did about two thirds of the business that honey, I shrunk the kids did. Yeah. Uh, we're talking 96 million in ticket sales in North America versus 130 in North American ticket sales for the original film back in 89, which when you factor in that the original honey cost 18 million to make, whereas blew up the baby cost 32. Yeah. That's not a great place to be Len, especially in an era where the, the accountants are, calling the shots more than the creatives are. Right. But again, that's all for the future. This is still the summer of 89. And Honey, I the Kids is this enormous hit, which Disney immediately wants to start making all sorts of sequels to. So there's this great article in the Wall Street Journal in August of that year where the reporter found a, a bunch of the names that Disney had already trademarked for possible sequels to I Hundred the Kids. All right, go ahead. You, so you have Honey, I sent the kids to the moon. Honey, I made the kids invisible. Honey, I xeroxed the kids, and my <laughs> personal favorite, Honey, I switched brains with the dog. And even before the movie opens in theaters in June of 89, I started insisting that this Joe Johnson movie has to be folded into the Disney theme parks somewhere. Okay. So, all right, think about it. It's late winter, early spring of that same year. okay. And the Imagineers are readying the Disney MGM Studio theme park for its May 1st opening. Okay. And since the Disney World Third Gate is supposed to help promote the studio's latest movies. Synergy. Uh, there we go. So the Imagineers Society is part of the visual effects portion of that theme parks backstage walking tour, which was the second half of the tram tour. They'd use blue screen in a way to recreate that moment from honey to shrub the kids with a where the boys accidentally fall in the back of a, a bumblebee and then get flown all over the backyard. Seven weeks later, when Honey, I Shrunk the Kids finally opens the theaters and becomes the fifth highest grossing Mm -hmm. film of the year, Mm -hmm. uh, behind Batman, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, Lethal Weapon 2, and Rain Man, Eisner now insists that something of size that celebrates Honey, I Shrunk the Kids be built in MGM. Something of size that celebrates being shrunk. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa! Eisner was a man of
0: contradictions, Jim.
1: (laughs) And we loved him for it. Exactly, um, exactly, Okay, so this is why between New York Street and the, the Studio Catering Company, a brand new playground begins to rise up out of the ground. All right. The gimmick of the Honey I Shrunk the Kids movie set adventure was, as soon as guests entered the space, they were shrunk down to the size of an ant. This enclosed space, which was designed to look like a teeny tiny chunk of the Lindsay's backyard, now writ large, featured 30-foot-tall blades of grass that were built out of metal and fiberglass line. Okay. Prior to installation, the Imagineers, in model form, had to take the entire uh, Honey, I Shrink the Kids movie set adventure and find a company with a wind tunnel? <laughs> Oh, that's right. You yeah, have to test these things out. Yeah. No, that's it exactly. It had to be able to stand up to 300 mile an hour winds because Florida hurricanes. Wow. That's
0: crazy. That is way beyond what most people would uh, would expect from a hurricane. Biggest well, tornadoes, tornadoes can also be up there too.
1: And you want a the, safety the, margin. The, yeah, okay. The Honey, I Shrek, the Kid movie set adventure, you know, thinking, all right, we, we got to give gas away to stay cool. So mm. they, they gave people choices. They could either stand under a 52-foot-long nozzle on a giant garden hose and periodically get dripped on, okay. or... They could stand in front of a giant dog nose, and every so often, the enormous canine, which was somewhere off in the distance, would sneeze, but instead of snot, a a cool mist of water would then come shooting out of the nostrils (laughs) into the (laughs) gist. So... (laughs) <laughs> this is what we called fun back in the late '80s, folks. All right, we weren't the sophisticated people. Okay, but you it's, know. it's great that they thought of it. I mean, you think about
0: what what they might have done for Toy Story Land, where you know, the the complaint has been that during the summer there's not a lot mm-hmm. of shaded areas, right? They could, but mm-hmm. they could do things like this in a backyard because they've done them
1: before. That yeah. is an excellent point. All right, okay, cool. Good. Um, by the way, these. Two enormous props, the leaky nozzle of that garden hose and the giant dog nose, were manufactured out in California at WDI's Tahunga facility and then shipped across country and in- Len, picture this. You're in the Midwest. You know, you're out right on the highway with the family and you doo, look over And a flatbed goes rolling by with a giant dog nose.
0: <laughs> like, I don't know where they're going, but I'm going to follow them because they look like fun. <laughs> there
1: we go. All right. By the way, a lot of folks who who have memories of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set adventure will talk about that soggy material that covered the ground. So oh, it looked like the uh,
0: the force absorbing stuff
1: that you walked the- on in the ground yeah there we go it was called safe deck it was a material that the imaginers found that was actually made up of ground up truck tires len oh. to make it actually look like the dirt in your backyard the imaginers had to hand scatter little bits of green truck tires and red truck tires and blue truck tires which brings us to the really important question here len where do you get green and blue truck tires you <laughs> Does, know, my, my next question was going to be uh, and why would
0: you need them I, I where know. where would you get a tire?
1: I mean, other than for like, I guess for the movie industry. George Carlin used to talk about where is the blue food? Where's you the know that, that yeah. like. You know, and it's like, so no, no question. Where are the blue I, tires? I guess you're in a room you, you can actually get white them. walls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. You can buy them. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Anyway, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set adventure had a good long run at the studio theme park. Officially opened on December 17th, 1990, and then closed on April 2nd, 2016. Wow. To make way for an entirely different movie set adventure. Maybe you heard of the place, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I've heard of it. So, wow. So it lasted 26 years. It did. It did. Wow, it seems like it's been gone forever. When you think about what disappeared to make way for Galaxy's Edge, and as you yeah. just mentioned, Star Wars Land. I mean, we lost light motor action, we lost New York Street, we lost Residential Street, Catastrophe Canyon. Yeah, a lot of capacity. Yeah, a lot of stuff gone yeah so uh, on the next installment of this series the third and final chapter of honey i shrunk the kids uh we'll discuss disney's troubles when it came to developing a suitable sequel to the first film in the series not to mention the challenges the Imagineers faced when they decided to build a brand new 3d experience around wayne zalinsky's shrink ray so ah. get ready for way too many mice Len. <laughs> Looking forward to that, Jim. That'll be great.
0: <laughs> there we go. I was wondering when, how you were going to get that. All right. So that, that'll be uh, next week? That'll be next week. All right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, we're going to wrap up the history of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie experience at the Disney theme parks. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com were produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. who will be covering For What It's Worth and the entire album Freedom Highway as a tribute to the Staple Singers on Friday, August 12th at the 2022 Clarksdale River Blues and Gospel Festival at the Clarksdale Civic Auditorium on East 2nd Street in beautiful downtown Clarksdale, Mississippi. While Aaron's doing that, please go on iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.